quiz time. Excellent. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. I'm going to move this forward and bring this back. Um, while I do this, there's going to be a comment that I saw on Facebook the other day. And you're going to talk to the person next to you. How would you respond to someone that thought like this? And someone that says, the Bible is a compendium, large amount, collection, of unproven and unverifiable short stories translated through so many languages, full stop, comma, so many times, that literal interpretation is both futile and silly. Fact checkers would have a field day with it. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. How would you begin to approach that question? Go. Should have done it into the microphone. <laughs> okay, um, I would love to hear two possible responses. Two responses. How would you begin to answer this question? <laughs> Keegan, is this going to be helpful? You have, a, you have a menacing smile on your face. What do you got? You're wrong. Okay. Well, huge intellectual prowess from Keegan. One more. How would you begin to start answering that question? Here, Henry's got one. Uh, send them the video that we just watched. Oh. Wow. Actually, actually a good call. Um, the reason I share this is this was, this was in some public, like, Sydney Morning Herald article or something like that. I was reading, uh, reading some questions and comments that people were asking about the role of, I guess, the church like Christchurch, but like the broader church. But more importantly, what we base our beliefs on, that is God's word. Today we're going to be thinking about the question, can we trust the Bible? Because it's really important. I'm going to be really upfront right now and say that if the Bible was untrustworthy, I would not be a Christian. I would certainly not be living in St. Ives. I would not at all be a minister. Um, I, would, I would give it up. If someone could prove to me that the Bible is actually a compendium of rubbish, I would give everything up, and you should too. So it's actually really important that we think really hard about can we trust what we hold in our hands? Is what we're holding true? And is what we're holding the very word of God? We're going to be thinking about some historical literature, some primary and secondary sources, uh, I hope you guys are ready. It might seem a bit like history in school for a little bit, but I assure you it's worth it. Uh, if you don't care about history, I don't care. I want you to tune in now so that we can actually do the hard work and know the foundation of what we believe. Firstly, the Bible is reliable history. Uh, I truly didn't care a lot about history in school. That was me, that was me in year 11 or 12, modern history, and my friend Roshni, and she did not appreciate the... Ten pens that I put in her hair. Um, that was my attitude towards school in general, but particularly history. I didn't care about that one. And I look back on that and I regret it. I think I would have loved to understand history a little bit more. I would have un loved to understand how we come to a knowledge of the truth a little bit more. And so I hope that today you can actually not be like that idiot and be a bit more like someone who takes the truth seriously. History is very important. What's the point of changing your life for something if it's a lie? 
Um, like, admittedly, what we're talking about today is far more significant than the Bolshevik Revolution in whatever century that was. Um, but it's really important that we do the intellectual groundwork and we, we do the historical digging so that we can know the certainty of what we believe. I wonder if you saw that in the book of Luke, chapter 1, just then. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself, that is this doctor called Luke, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, the person this letter's written to, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. The Gospel of Luke, that is the, the, like the historical narrative of Jesus written by Luke, is written so that we can know the certainty, so that we can know the absolute concrete assurance of our faith. Luke doesn't write this so that we can like, just hear some good stories and then move on. No, Luke writes this so that Christians can know the truth of what they believe and so that people who aren't yet Christian can be challenged by the truth of what the Bible has to say. Uh, there's a historian named John Dixon who said this on Twitter 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I'll eat a page of my Bible if skeptics can find one professor, professor? professor of ancient history or the New Testament in a real university who thinks that Jesus didn't live. As we saw in that video, we can actually have really, really firm, clear understanding that Jesus was a real man. Jesus was a real man on this earth that we're standing on now. 2,000 years ago, real flesh, real blood. He walked around Palestine. He walked around in the Middle East, the same place you can go and visit today. And the people that aren't Christian know that that is true. They know that Jesus was a real man. They know that Jesus was a real man with, with family, who was a carpenter, who was said to have crucified, been crucified and maybe risen from the dead. So John Dixon said this 11 years ago, and his Bible still remains intact. We can know, we can have certainty that Jesus was a real man. So how does that, what does that have to do with actually what we're holding then in the Bible? Well, if Jesus was a real man, oh yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in just a second, but keep the picture up for us, David, thank you. Um, while Jesus was a real man, uh, we want to know that what is written about him in God's word is actually true. And so we're going to think a bit about the historical process. Is everyone ready for that? Yeah. Is everyone ready for that? Yeah. Great, okay, we can do it, guys. I, I believe in you. This is going to help you. Uh, so... 2,000-ish years ago, Paul and Luke and Matthew and a whole bunch of people wrote a whole bunch of letters that they gave to other people. So someone wrote Luke. It was Luke. Luke then gave the book of Luke to Jordan. Here you go, Jordan. Do you like that? Very much. Great. Write it down. So now Jordan's going to copy that, that entire humongous scroll that I've given him. And then I'm going to take the original back. Thank you. Yeah, I'll use that for illustration purposes. But you really enjoyed that, so you're going to give that copy to Ethan, and Ethan's going to write that down, and I'm going to give this to Jacob. And J do, you, do you enjoy that one? Yeah. Pretty good. You're going to copy that down. So that there's, after a few years, there's, there's hundreds, thousands of copies of this original document that is there. 
Now you might think this is this could be like Chinese whispers and and everything could like get messed up and people might believe things that weren't actually written down. Basically, because there's so many copies, the more they are the same as each other, the better we know that they are the same as what was originally written. It's like a giant pyramid, it all points towards the top. If you've got pieces over here, over here, over here, and over here, that are written hundreds of years apart, and they all say the same thing, we can know that what Luke wrote was actually correct. So, when we hold the Bible in our hand, we're holding a translated... We're holding translated copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, insert a few more across a few thousand years, of the truth of what has been written down that Luke wrote, so that we would know the certainty of what has been written. Fortunately, there aren't any, uh, aren't any Chinese whispers involved. It's not just like a, a game at youth on a Sunday Arvo. No, these people that are writing the copies down, they're actually, they're trained copywriters. They know what they're doing. If they make mistakes, it's a spelling mistake, they'll cross it out and they'll keep going. They can't just hit delete like we can. And we can know that this is true, um, we can know that the New Testament is reliable because all of the copies that we have all say the same thing. All of the copies that we have all say the same thing. And there are, where's the number on this, on this sheet? Oh yeah, in ancient history, the, the closest amount of copies that we have to the New Testament is 643. That's this one here. There are over 24,000 different copies of manuscripts of the New Testament, all saying the same thing, all backing one another up. We see this, we can know that what was written down is what we are holding in our hands. There hasn't been any Chinese whispers. There hasn't been any changing of languages like Old Man on Facebook said. Everything was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and translated to English in our Bibles today. So that's one thing, that's the kind of manuscript, but then also the dating. You might notice that in the different column. I couldn't find a higher resolution of this picture, sorry, so my bad on this one. Um, the whole New Testament was finished 40 to 70 years after Jesus. We've had some of the original letters being written and distributed within 17 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. That might seem like a lot. A lot of you aren't even 17 yet. But the way that it worked in culture is that people would remember things. They'd have a better memory than us because their brains haven't been just ruined by TikTok. And they would be able to pass the truth on to their generation or whatever, and then people would eventually be able to write it down. Now, 17 years after Jesus, there's a lot of people still alive that had seen Jesus, right? There's a lot of people. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Jesus rose from the dead, that person saw him, that person saw him. And if you didn't, you don't agree with me, go ask them, because they're still alive, they're still breathing, and they can say, actually, that's untrue or not. So 17 years compared to the next closest um, time, Dating. Alexander the Great, I think he's on here. Mm, ah, sorry, it's in my notes, it's not on the picture. The picture was new, I shouldn't have done that. Alexander the Great is someone that we all know and that we all know existed. Uh, but the closest writings that we have about Alexander the Great aren't written 17 years after, aren't written 70 years after. They're written 400 years after. The way the way that we know that the New Testament is accurate, is reliable, is trustworthy, is because everything that was there had been written within the lifetime or, or two of the people that actually saw it. That's just history. 
please come and chat to me if you think I'm wrong after. I, I really would love it. I actually have this book, and I'm going to give whoever wants one. I'll be at the back at the end of the service. Come and grab one. It's free. I'll give it to you. Can we trust what the Gospels say about Jesus? I've tried to steal all the good stuff of this for this talk. This guy's a historian and knows what he's talking about. He's not just Josh. But I hope that that might be something that is helpful for you. Uh, and lastly, there's something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Has anyone heard about them? Oh, wow. Can someone tell us what they are? Noah, I trust you. I no longer trust you. Don, I trust you. You have betrayed my trust. Who can tell us about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Anyone? Yeah, Lucy. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so in, 196, in 1947, a boy uh, was throwing some, some rocks around and he threw one into a cave and he heard a smash and he went, oh crap. And he went in and he found these humongous ancient jars that have preserved these, um, these copies, these manuscripts of people who uh, had written things down. They were um, Jewish people and they had written down a whole bunch of the Old Testament, including a whole scroll of the book of Isaiah, dated a thousand years before anything that we had up until that point. So it was dated to about 100 BC or something, maybe. Um, I didn't write down the exact date, so um, have a look at that later. But here's what we see from that one. Can we go to the next, the next slide, please, David? Next one. Um, of this scroll of the copy of Isaiah, the historians compared what we have in our, in our copies today and down here, they found that 95% of the words of this scroll were exactly the same. They found that 4% had spelling mistakes, because let's be real, we're all human. And they have found that 1% actually did have some different words, but it retained just the same meaning. The Dead Sea Scrolls are incredible when it comes to verifying the certainty that what we have, we have in our Bibles is the historical truth. One last thing as well. We're going to play a little game. It's called Oprah. You know how Oprah always hides things under her seats, like of the people in her audience? Four of you have something hidden under your seat. I subtly put it there. If you've got one, come up. Chris Wigmore, you may have one. No, Kevin does. Kevin! I was very subtle. Yes, Erica, come. There should be one more. One, two, three, four. Yes, excellent. Okay. Um, what are you holding? Uh, you can just, just guess at what you're holding. Um, a paragraph on Jesus Christ. A paragraph on Jesus Christ, correct. Bree? I have no clue. Uh, historian, like yeah, so, so it's from a historian about Jesus. These are four different paragraphs on Jesus Christ by historians. Dom? It's talking about Nero's reaction after killing Jesus. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so it's about the way the emperor kind of responded to this. And Erica? Um, it talks about Jesus and he was Christ and on the third day, day he appeared in Rose. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Um, these guys are holding four different paragraphs from writings from historians that weren't Christian from back in the day. These are people that were writing about the events of history and everything that we actually know to be true about history. And they're, they're holding truths about who Jesus is from people that hate Jesus. You guys have done great. Well done. Please go grab a seat. Give them a round of applause. Here we go. Next slide, David. 
Here are some of the things that, from the paragraphs that these guys are holding, here are some things, this is outside the Bible, from people that hate Jesus, that we know about Jesus. That Jesus was a man. Jesus was executed in Judea during the period when Tiberius was emperor and Pilate was governor. That the movement of Christianity spread from Judea to Rome, and his followers worshipped him as a god, that he was called the Christ, his followers were called Christians, and that his brother was called James. Now, Dr. Paul, pa Paul Barnett, who is an actual historian and not just Josh, he says this, he says, while the evidence is not extensive, it is noteworthy that it does not in any way conflict with, but actually rather confirms the historical information in the New Testament. The picture that we have about who Jesus is, is accurate, because even the people that hated him paint the same picture. We know and we can have certainty that he was a man, that he walked on this earth, that he died, that he was said to rise again. Okay, one, one last point. The Bible is a cohesive story. So allow me to share a story with you. Um, it's from later on in the book of Luke, after the death of Jesus, about two or three days after. Now, the, the, now that same day, two of them, these two men, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That is the death of Jesus. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, their faces still downcast. Only one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asks, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him as they killed him on a cross. But we had hopes that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that he had, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, sorry. Back, back, back. Give it that. Thanks, David. Um, he explained all that was written in the Old Testament concerning himself. That is, 66 books four-fifths or so of our Bible, that actually it was all written about Jesus. It was all fulfilled in Jesus. And we can see that, can't we? As we think about the story of the Bible, for those that haven't been before, here's the vague story of the Bible. God made everything and he made it good and he made people and he made them very good and he put them in this garden, this perfect place in relationship with him. And then they said, screw you, I'm in charge and not you. And so they rejected their creator, they cut themselves off from life, and God made a promise that someone would come and fix that problem between people and God, and fix the problem of death. Right there, page two of the Bible, there's a promise that Jesus will come. And as we go through the whole Old Testament, we see God's character. 
a God of fierce justice and a God of patient mercy. A God who hates evil and will get rid of it, yet also patiently and kindly loves his people. And we see this most clearly in Jesus. The one who came, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead. What a saviour indeed. Now this is the story of the Bible. And it's kind of like lots of books of the Bible all telling one thing. I've said this before, but it's just like the MCU. Lots of like movies and TV shows and everything all pointing towards one kind of huge epic conclusion, which was Infinity War and Endgame. And now they've announced a whole next few years worth of content. It's pretty overwhelming. I'm like tired of Marvel at the moment, I think, but I'm, I'm still excited. I'll still watch everything. But we know that everything's kind of heading towards a conclusion. They've just announced that there's two more Avengers movies coming in 2025, and everything is heading towards that. Everything's heading towards this conclusion, like everything heads towards Jesus. The whole Bible is one big story ending, concluding with who Jesus is. Now, you might be like, hmm, what are some of the things that that means? Great question. Next slide. David, go. Good reaction time. Um, Here are some prophecies about Jesus where the Old Testament has said the Messiah will come and this will happen. Some historian from a a university in America, from Westmont College, calculated that the chances of Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies be 1 in 10 to the power of 17, which is 1 in 1,000 million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, if that's a thing. One in ten quintillion. The fact that Jesus can actually fulfill all of these prophecies. Feel free to take a photo of that. Feel free to have a look at that later. But we can know that we can trust the Old Testament because Jesus did. What Jesus said about the Old Testament is true. Because Jesus is true. We can know that we can trust the Bible because Jesus is Lord. In the Bible, we meet the one who, who sees your brokenness. Who sees my failings. We meet the one who loves us, who loves us no matter what. You'll hear people try and challenge the trustworthiness of the Bible because it doesn't line up with what we believe or it doesn't line up with what we want to feel. But actually, in the Bible, we meet Jesus. And Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. And God gave us his scripture so that we can know the certainty We can be 100% locked in. We can live securely in the knowledge that Jesus is 100% real, 100% lived, 100% died, and 100% rose again from the dead. We can trust the Bible, and this matters. If you're here and you follow Jesus, you can know that the promises of God for your life are true because we can trust the Bible. If you're here and you follow Jesus, you can know that what you hold to is certain. That the new creation that we're heading towards is real and has a seat at the table with your name written on it. And you can know that for a fact. And there is nothing that this world can do to take that away from you. There is no feeling that you can have that can separate you from God. Your relationship with Jesus is completely and utterly locked in. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here, and I really hope that these small words might help you see how important this is. That if the Bible is true, like that video said, that it changes everything. That it changes everything about who we are, 
and, and actually who we live for. It changes absolutely everything. Guys, there's two options. The Bible's true or it's not. The Bible is true or it's all a load of crap. I'm going to give you these books afterwards because I really want you to know, just as I do, that what God has to say for you is 100% certain and is 100% worth following. I'll invite the band up and please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the certainty of Jesus. We ask that you would help us to hold on to the fact that there is a 100% chance that Jesus lived and died and indeed rose from the dead. Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, to know this and you would help us to hold to this even when uh, times are hard, even when people might challenge us. Give us hope and security and comfort for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.